I am eager to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from 1 Samuel chapter 17 today, and so I'd like to invite you to please turn there with me to 1 Samuel 17. And I want to thank you and especially uh, families with young kids for joining us for this family service. I found myself so affected. In fact, I want to thank the scripture readers uh, from earlier. What a glorious thing it is to have the truth of God's word being spoken by our children. Who knows, but we may have a preacher rise up from among their number in the future. May God raise up many in the next generation to serve his purposes. 1 Samuel 17, we're going to consider one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, which is the story of David and Goliath. Our sermon title is Facing the Giant. And this entire chapter is devoted to this narrative. We're going to begin reading in verse 32. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 32. This is God's holy and authoritative word. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. And chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came nearer to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And that seems like a good place to stop in our family service because something unfortunate <laughs> happens to Goliath's head in the next verse. <laughs> May God bless the preaching of his word. In the animated movie Inside Out, there is a character named Fear, who is one of the emotions that lives inside of Riley's head. Fear's main job is to protect Riley and keep her safe. He is constantly on the lookout for potential disasters and spends time evaluating the possible dangers, pitfalls, and risks involved in Riley's everyday activities. There are, in fact, very few activities and events that fear does not find to be dangerous and possibly fatal. We are all familiar with the experience of fear. The Bible, in fact, is forthright in communicating that there are many fearful things in this fallen world, things to appropriately be afraid of. If you have never had fear in this life, it would seem that you are a bit out of touch with reality. And more than that, if you've never had fear, you can't be courageous because courage by definition requires the presence of fear. If there is no fearful circumstance, there can be no courage involved. Now, one of the great goals of this incredible historical narrative of David and Goliath is that we today would be able to be courageous in the face of every enemy and every fear that we face in life. So what God's doing is working in us a courage and a fearlessness as we move through life in a fallen world that is full of scary 
and fearful things. But the way that we get to that place of courage and strength is a lot different than what most people think. On the one hand, the world says that the way to handle fear and be courageous is the way of Goliath. You see this in all of the self-help books uh, and the podcasts and so on. Get stronger, accumulate power and resources, rely on your skills, increase your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your self-assertion, stifle your fears, visualize the victory. All of that is the way of Goliath. Goliath has no fear. His self-confidence is through the roof. And it's because he's relying on his armor and his skills. But it is a false courage, and we know that it doesn't work out well for him. On the other hand, there are a lot of Christians who think, and you can see even some Christians who read the story this way, who think that the way to handle fear and to be courageous is to be like David. There are a lot of people who teach that we should identify primarily with David when we read this story. And so we should realize that little people can do big things too. We should seek to follow the example of David by courageously running toward our own giants. What that misses is something really, really important, and that is how God himself decisively defeats our enemies and delivers us from fear by the one man who fought for us and triumphed for us, which is the main point of this story. This is our main point today. Here it is in a sentence, and I think the kids have some of these blanks in their outline. The things we most fear, so take whatever it is, the things we most fear can be faced with courage, can be faced with courage. How is that possible? How can the things that we most fear possibly be faced with courage? Because we have a champion in Jesus. The things we most fear can be faced with courage all for this reason, because we have a champion in Jesus. So let's look at this story under three different headings. First, we all face enemies like Goliath. We all face enemies like Goliath. The Philistines had invaded Israelite territory, and Goliath of Gath is the Philistine champion. We're introduced to him earlier in the chapter. Special attention is given to his height, to his strength, to his weaponry. It it gives his height. It's not a precise unit of measurement uh, today. It's the, uh, what's given is the length of uh, uh, the tip of the finger to the elbow on the current king at the time. So scholars talk about how tall exactly was uh, Goliath. Probably around eight feet tall, maybe taller. But this guy is like something out of Marvel Comics. His armor and his weapons weighed somewhere around 170 pounds. If you want to know what it's like to move with that kind of weight on you, I can jump on your back after the service in the back. You know, this is a serious villain. And and commentators point out that Goliath is not simply a giant. He's also described as a snake, like Satan in the garden. Earlier in the chapter, verses 5 through 7, call attention to his armor. Literally, it's just scales. It's language that is used elsewhere to refer to dragon-like serpent creatures. So Goliath is the latest 
manifestation and representative of the evil one. And here he defies God's people and he threatens them with death itself. Verse 8, he stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Our enemies, the enemies of the people of God, always talk a big game. He stands up and he says, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us. So armies were lined up against each other. Goliath is shouting this. And then in verse 10, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So here's what Goliath wants a challenger to face him in single representative combat so that whoever wins that battle wins the whole thing. That point of it being a representative battle is going to be important. Goliath is a source of fear. He is representative of all that we are tempted to fear and all that stands against us. What do we fear in life? We, we don't want to lose relationships that are valuable to us. We don't want to lose financial stability. We don't want to lose good health in ourselves or in those we love. We fear failing. We fear the future. We fear the direction that culture is heading. And the greatest and most fearful enemies we face, we know, are sin, death, Satan, and hell itself. These are the great enemies representative in Goliath. There is a children's song that my friend Dave Fournier wrote called The Scariest Song. It's a good song for this time of the year. He says, what's the scariest of woes? Some say snakes and some say spiders. What strikes terror to your toes? Some say floods and some say fires. Some say dentist drills or creepy clowns climbing up or falling down. But I'll tell you what's the scariest around. Sin. It's the scariest. Sin hurts everyone. Sin, how it hides in us. It's all the wrong we've done. It separates us from our God behind these prison walls. Oh, sin is the scariest of all. We all face enemies like Goliath, and the greatest of these are sin and the eternal judgment that we deserve, every one of us, for our many sins. Not only that, this is point number two, not only do we all face enemies like Goliath, point two, we are all helpless like the Israelites. We are all helpless like the Israelites. It, it gets worse because not only do we have great enemies, we are helpless before them. After Goliath speaks, verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. A lot of people, again, they read this story, they put themselves in the story as David. Do you know who we are like do you know who I am like? 
the scared Israelites. That's where we see it, dismayed and greatly afraid. We don't have the courage we need to get through life. We are like Saul, paralyzed and selfish. We would expect Saul to go out and fight. He's the king, but he cares only for himself. Saul offers to have David use his armor. It's like, I certainly won't be needing this. No way I'm going out there. We are like David's older brother also in the text, Eliab, in verses 28 through 30. He's angry at David. He's misjudging and mistreating the one who will save them. He's doubting the power of God to help us. In Israel, we see the condition of all of humanity. This is a picture of the world today. We have all sinned against God. We have all failed to live as we ought. And we rightly tremble with fear before the enemies of sin and death. Because what can we do to help ourselves? Try to be better people? It will not work. We are trespassers. We have transgressed the law of God. And whoever stumbles at just one point, Scripture says, is guilty of breaking all of it. What will we do about the problem of sin in our lives? Humanity is every bit as helpless and hopeless as the Israelites. Incapable of defeating the giant, cowering in fear if we are honest with ourselves and the situation we are in, having rebelled against the God who made us. And left to ourselves, friends, we have no hope, but only certain judgment from a holy God for our sin. This is the great dilemma. We need a hero. We need a champion. We need a savior. Now, David, the son of Jesse, was introduced earlier in the chapter, tending his father's sheep. Scholars think he was probably... 13 to 17 years old. Where are our 13 to 17 years Just raise hands, 13, 17. Okay, yeah. So that's, that, there's our, our David. All right, we're Israel. It's not looking good. Uh, this is what we've got. All right? And he brings bread to camp for his brothers, and then David hears Goliath doing his thing, shouting, challenging, send out a man, all of that. He hears that, and it's emphasized again, verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. That whole theme of fear, again, what do we do? Flee in fear. They flee at the terrible sight of this insurmountable challenge that is before them because they know the problem is greater than they can handle. David started talking and word got back to Saul. Saul calls for David, and David says, I'll do it. Saul says, you can't do this. You are just a youth. But David says, I've struck down lions and bears, and this Philistine will be like one of them. In other words, this guy isn't the first beast I've come up against. David comes on the scene. You have to, you have to sense some of the energy he brings. He shows up young, scrappy, and hungry with faith, that God's people have faced giants before. He is not throwing away his shot. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That leads to point number three, last point. We all need a champion 
like David. We all need a champion like David. Beginning in verse 43, the trash talking between Goliath and David begins. Goliath sees this teenager wearing no armor, holding a staff in his hand. Am I a dog, he says, that you come at me with sticks? Do you realize what you're up against? You don't know how I've trained. You don't know who I've killed. You don't know what I'm capable of, little boy. He taunts him. Verse 45, David responds. This is like the same dynamics that you have in a rap battle. He responds. We imagine, you can, you know, after Goliath speaks, you just imagine the Philistines are loving it. Just, oh, put him down, yes. All eyes now on David. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And in verse 46, he basically says, here's what's going to happen. Make sure you check out the headlines tomorrow because I know how this is going down. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And then at this point, follow this, the rest of verses 46 and 47, probably the most important verses in the entire chapter because in this moment, as David stands before Goliath, he announces the whole point of the story. He announces the whole point of this victory. There is a statement of purpose. David says this is what God wants everyone today and throughout history to learn. Verse 46 that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David does not stand in that moment and say that all the earth may be given a moral example. That all the earth may know that if you too are brave enough, you can defeat the giants in your life. It's, it's just not the point of the narrative. Israel's encounter with Goliath is intended to illustrate the great and glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lesson one, there is a God in Israel, verse 46. That means that the God of Scripture exists. He exists. The God of Christianity is the only true and living God. He has no rivals. He is not one God among many. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We heard it earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is a God, in, and the fact that there's a God in Israel means God is with his people. It means he's for his people. There is a God who fights for his people. There is a God who has not and never will abandon his own, but cares for you and loves you. There is a God in Israel. And lesson two, the battle is the Lord's. Verse 47, that the battle is the Lord's means that, that God determines who wins and loses. All of the events of this war are completely and totally in his power, just as all of human history 
is completely and totally in his power. And when God determines who will win, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. As it says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Meaning no enemy is too great. No trial is too overwhelming. No situation is hopeless. Why? For the battle belongs to the Lord. Lesson three, and this is emphasized repeatedly in the text and has to do with revealing how the Lord saves his people. Lesson three, from what David says in those verses. Verse 47, the Lord does not save by sword or spear. Major theme in the narrative. Earlier in verse 7, Goliath has a sword. Verse 39, David rejects the sword that Saul offers him. Verse 43, Goliath comments on the fact that David doesn't have a sword. Verse 45, David contrasts trusting in swords with trusting in God. Verse 47, it is not by sword that the Lord saves. And then verse 50 reiterates that David conquered without a sword. What is the significance of that? It's here. God is teaching us about the way salvation and deliverance comes. Then and today, it is not by might, it is not by morality, it is not by anything that you and I bring and contribute. To trust in a sword, and there are so many who do it today, and so many religious people, and professing Christians who, who are doing it today, to trust in a sword means that you trust in anything other than God himself for salvation. God can save you, but it means that you must lay down the weapons of your good works and your moral performance. It means I cannot trust in what I have done. I cannot trust in who I am. I can't rely on being a good person. In fact, I need to acknowledge I'm not a good person. I need to acknowledge that I have sinned much. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That is salvation according to God's word. Just think about, read, read the narrative and consider what did the Israelites and what did Saul contribute to the victory? You know what the answer is? Absolutely nothing. They contributed nothing. They did nothing to win except have the right man on their side. The man of God's own choosing. Someone else won the battle for them. A victory was imputed to them. And David says, let all the earth know this is how God saves. The message of the Bible is not be like David. It's you need a David and you have a David in Jesus Christ. You see, there is another shepherd, another warrior, another champion who would come from the city of David, born in David's family. He too would have zeal for the honor of God. He too would step forward and volunteer, willingly and bravely entering the battle. He too would be despised and looked down upon, rejected 
as folly by the world. He too would bring salvation through weakness. He too would not only risk his life, but lay down his life, and in doing so would save many from certain death. He too would act as a representative of the people so that his victory, the one man's victory, would be the victory of many. He too would triumph over the evil one and crush his head in victory. What a mighty champion we have in Jesus Christ. He fights for us. He defeats our giants. He makes us more than conquerors. This, this is how salvation comes, and this is how courage is given. The things we most fear can be faced with courage because we have a champion in Jesus. David says in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him, I will go and fight. Friends, that's exactly what Christ says to us. He says to you today, don't lose heart. Let no one's heart fail because of whatever you face. And he says, I will fight for you. He says, I have died for you. He says, I will care for you. I will defend you. I will provide for you. We are not left to ourselves in the battle for faith. Some of you are in a situation and it does indeed appear hopeless and you don't know the way forward. God's word to you today is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Some of you perhaps don't have much by way of talents or strength or intellect or worldly success. Friends, what matters is not whether you have strength as defined by the world, but whether the God of angel armies is with you. The things we most fear can indeed be faced with courage because we have a champion in Jesus. I'd like to invite the band to return as I close. Today, as we have heard, we celebrate Reformation Day. I love how we as a church just lean all in. Reformation Day, let's go. I love that about you. One of the leaders of the Reformation was the flawed but greatly used by God, Martin Luther. He exemplified the courage Christ gives. When Luther was opposed, when he was threatened, when he was told to recant his teaching, he calmly and bravely said, here I stand. I will stand on the truth of God's word. And friends, that same courage is ours, whatever we may face. Fearful things remain in our lives. Giants surround us in this fallen world. But what God would remind us is that he has dealt with our biggest problems at the cross and therefore we can follow in David's footsteps, living with that same faith, that same courage, that same joy, that same zeal for the glory of God. And the reason we can do that, friends, is because we know one day every enemy will be silenced. One day every taunt and sneer will be turned to shame. One glorious day God will crush Satan under our feet. And so today, all that's left for us to do is shout for joy. All that's left for us to do is, as the Israelites did, plunder the enemy and celebrate the victory Christ has won. Let's move forward in life with joyful courage, whatever fears we may face, knowing we have a great and glorious champion in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has rescued us from sin and death, and has made us his own. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a champion we have in Jesus. <laughs>